0: All right, well, hey, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Uh, John chapter 1. John chapter 1, starting in verse 35. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a black one underneath the chair that you're sitting in. You grab that one, look at it with me. John chapter 1, starting in verse 35. You can pull it up on your device, or you can just stare at me while it's on the screen. That's fine. Uh, John chapter 1, starting in verse 35. You have to forgive my voice. I lost my voice between Wednesday and Thursday. So if it cracks or just goes out, you're not passing out. You're not losing your hearing. It is actually happening. Uh, you just bear with me. Uh, John chapter 1, starting in verse 35. I think this is a general truth that whys are always better motivators than what's. Wise are always better motivators than what's. You can think about it like this. My wife and I, just about a year ago, entered into the adoption process again to adopt our third child. Uh, And we're adopting that child internationally. And so my friend says it like this. When you adopt internationally, you birth a ream of paper. Um, And so if you've ever participated in that, maybe you know that all too well. But if you don't... He wasn't joking and it's just paper after paper and form after form and legalize this and authorize this and go to Austin for this and find this. And it's just like, we've lost all that stuff. We don't, we're just trying to live. We don't know where all this stuff is. You like want to know everything about me since I was zero. Like, which is probably a fair thing. like, if you're going to take a child from another country, Kay, they should know that you're safe. Um, but this is what happens and it's paperwork after paperwork and form after form. And you turn stuff in and you're like, ha, ah, and they're like, great. Now you can do this section. You're like, oh, dear Lord. Right. And she paperwork after paperwork and form after form. And my wife bears the load of that. She bears the load of that paperwork. And often she finds herself in this moment of like just swimming in paperwork and she can find herself overwhelmed by the paperwork. And it's in those moments that we have to sit down. And remind ourselves of the why. It wouldn't be sufficient for me to sit her down and be like, well, this is what we have to do, woman. And so this is what we're going to do, right? It's just like, that's how bad things happen to you, Cade. Just don't do that. (laughs) So we don't give her a what. I give her a why. It's not sufficient to just say, well, this is just what we're doing. What we do say is, hey, there's a little boy at the end of this paperwork. And so we will fill out every document we have to fill out. We will find everything we have to find. We will get stamp after stamp, and we will drive as many miles as we have to drive. Because there's a little boy at the end of this that we will continue to fight through this for. Because a why is a far better motivator than a what. Now, why do I tell you that? Because I think as Christians, when it comes to sharing the gospel, we know what to do. We heard the instructions a thousand times. You've heard a pastor stand on a stage much like this and say, hey, we have to share the gospel with people. That's how they will know Jesus. It's out in the world. Go and share the gospel. You know exactly what to do. You've heard the instructions of of Jesus from Matthew chapter 28. You know what to do, but often we forget why we are doing it. And so as a result, we lose motivation to do it. And maybe today it would be helpful to us to just remind ourselves why is it that we share the gospel? So that we would find ourselves motivated to share the gospel. Here's our main idea if you're writing notes down. We are motivated to share the gospel because we have been transformed by the gospel. We are motivated to share the gospel because we have been transformed by the gospel. I think we'll see some of this happen here in John chapter 1 beginning in verse 35. So if you're able to stand in honor of reading God's word, I would ask you to do so. We'll read John chapter 1, 35, Through 51, at the end of our reading, we say this phrase, the very words, just as a way to separate God's perfect words from mine that are not. John 1, starting in verse 35, this is what the Word of God says. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was born from Bethsaida, Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. So, just as a reminder, here's our main idea: we are motivated to share the gospel because we have been transformed by the gospel. But maybe it's helpful for us at this point in the game to, to, to answer the question: Why do we not share the gospel? What are the barriers to us, as the people of God, to sharing the gospel? And I think there are two main barriers. Most of the reasons that we don't share the gospel fall into these two categories: one or the other. And there are these two categories: fear and apathy. Fear. And apathy. So fear comes out like this. I'm afraid to share the gospel because I'm afraid that I'll look silly or I'll feel awkward. I'm afraid to share the gospel because I don't know enough. I'm afraid to share the gospel because I'm too broken. I'm afraid to share the gospel because I don't know how. I'm afraid to share the gospel because what if I get rejected? I'm afraid to share the gospel because what if it doesn't work? And so fear drives our lack of sharing the gospel. But maybe for some of you it's not fear, but it's apathy. It's not, I'm afraid, it's I don't care. I don't care to share the gospel. And I think there's a few reasons that might be true for you if you're there. That maybe if you find yourself apathetic to sharing the gospel, it's because you've forgotten just how incredible the gospel is. You've forgotten just how unbelievable it is that you and your rebellion would be welcomed into a holy God's family based on nothing you offered. So maybe that's what it is for you. Maybe you're apathetic for other reasons. Maybe you're apathetic because you're embracing sin instead of Jesus. And notice what I'm saying, embracing sin, not struggling against sin. Listen, if you're here and you're like, you Christians, you just think we're supposed to be perfect. That's false. If you'd live with me for about four seconds, you'd find out real fast. I'm not. But notice I'm saying embracing, not struggling. We as Christians struggle against our sin. We fight against our sin. We put our sin to death by confessing it and dragging it into the light. But we do not, as First John would say, we don't make a practice of sinning. We don't embrace it. So perhaps you're apathetic to sharing the gospel because you're embracing sin instead of Jesus. And maybe you're apathetic to sharing the gospel because you're not a Christian. It would be very odd for you to share a gospel that you don't believe. So if you're here today and you're like, I'm not a follower of Jesus, I'm not going to do what you're saying, that would be the right takeaway for you. But here's an additional one. As you hear me talk about this gospel that has transformed us, I hope that it would transform you into the kind of person who would believe it. And then you would begin sharing it. Because those who have been transformed by the gospel end up being those who proclaim the gospel. So maybe those are the barriers for you, fear or apathy and however that expresses itself. And listen, the intent of today in this sermon is not to leave you feeling guilty. Like, I don't want you to walk out of here and be like, well... Kate's upset with us. Like, I guess we got to go share the gospel. That's not the intent. Rather, I hope, I hope that I would put a compelling why before you such that you would feel motivated and equipped leaving this room saying, I can do this and I want to do this. What's more, I can do this. I want to do this and I must do this. Because this is what the gospel does to us. It transforms us into the kind of people who proclaim the gospel to others. And so hopefully as we talk today, we we find ourselves motivated to share the gospel. And we find that our motivations triumph over our fears and our apathy. So why do we share the gospel? Let's get back to the text. Why do we share the gospel? Here's the first reason. Because Jesus is who he says he is. And he's done what he said he would do. We share the gospel because Jesus is who he says he is, and he's done what he said he would do. Jump up to John 1. 35 through 36, the next day, John, that's John the Baptist was standing with the two, with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, he said this about Jesus, behold, the lamb of God. He points to Jesus and he says, that guy, he's the lamb of God. The next section earlier, he says that guy right there, he's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So why is it that we would ever proclaim about this Jesus? Because he really is who he says he is and he really has done what he said he would do. He is the Lamb of God who indeed has taken away the sins of the world by dying on a cross and burying himself in a tomb and rising from the dead. He really is who he says he is and has done what he said he would do. We get more of that in verse 41 here in John chapter 1. He, that's Andrew, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. He is the anointed one. He's the promised one of God. He's the one that we've been longing for since Genesis chapter 3. He's here. He is who he says he is and he's done what he said he would do. And so our natural response is to proclaim that message to those around us. You you, you see it again in verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. He is the promised one. He is here. Finally, in verse 49, you see there in John chapter one, Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. So why do we share the gospel? Because Jesus is who he says that he is, and he's done exactly what he said he would do. You're not sharing a message that is a fairy tale. You're not sharing a message that you're uncertain about. No, Jesus is indeed exactly who he says he is and has done exactly what he said he would do. You're, sh- you're sharing a sure message. And so we're motivated by this. You are the one sent from God. You are indeed God in the flesh. You're the son of God, the king of Israel. You're the promised one. You're the Messiah. And so we are motivated out of that reality to proclaim that truth to those who do not believe. We share the gospel because Jesus is who he says he is. And he's done what he said he would do. But he's more than just the promised one. He's also the solution to our problem. I told you back in the the section right before this, John says to John says to those disciples, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's not just the one promise, but he's the solution to our problem. So we are motivated by this reality. You are the only solution to our problem. Indeed, Peter says it like this in Acts chapter four, verse 12. There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus says about himself in John fourteen six. Jesus said to them, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. So why? Why are we motivated to share the gospel? Because there is salvation in no other name. There is no way for the people that live in your life that are lost to to, to to, to come into the family of God other than through Jesus. There's no other route. This is not all of us climbing the same ladder to get up the mountain of God. No, this is the reality that God has come down the mountain to rescue a people. And there is no other way than through Jesus and Jesus alone. So we must preach Jesus. There is no other way. And we're motivated by this reality. There's salvation in no one else. He offers it. He's the way in. We must tell about it. And so this is a motivation. He is who he says he is. And he's done what he said he would do. The second motivation. Second reason we share the gospel is because transformation leads to proclamation. Transformation leads to proclamation. Transform people end up being proclaiming people. Look down at verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak that said, behold, the lamb of God and follow Jesus was Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother. So he begins following Jesus. What's the first thing that he does? Verse 41. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. He becomes a follower of Jesus. What's the first thing he does? I got to go get Peter. I got to go get him. Because transformed people end up being pro- people who proclaim about that transformation. You see it again. You see it again with Philip and Nathanael. There in verse 43 through 46. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we found him who Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. What does Philip do? He begins following Jesus and he's like, I got to go get Nathanael. Hey, we found the guy who Moses promised about. Come with me. Come and see. Because transformation leads to proclamation. I mean, you know this, right? So you see this on Facebook all of the time. This happened for us. So we got the news about our boys quickly thereafter. We took some really cute photos, posted them on Instagram and Facebook to let everybody know that we were adopting and we were pregnant. You see this all the time. Little shoes, a sign, something that's like, hey, we're now plus one. It's a dog plus now a picture of a baby, whatever. It's people, they've received news about receiving a child into their life. And what's their first reaction? I have to tell somebody about it. Because transformation leads to proclamation. When you receive that good of news, the natural response is, I must tell somebody about this. How much more for us? Those who have received the best news, the good news of Jesus. Should that sink into us, transform us into the kinds of people who proclaim that to the people around us? Is transformation leads to proclamation. We've been transformed by Jesus. Thus it should result in proclamation about Jesus. Okay, so that's the why, but what about how? Maybe for some of you, you're like, look, I, cool, I'm on board with the soul sharing the gospel thing, but I don't know how to do this. And I'm gonna actually give you two kinds of things here. I'm gonna give you some principles and I'm gonna give you a tool. That's the whiteboard. Welcome to class, everybody. A couple of, a few principles and then I'll give you a practical tool. How do we share the gospel? Let's grab some principles from this passage here. The first principle is this. We share the gospel with those we are already around. We share the gospel with those we are already around. Look back at verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. He brought him to Jesus, what's the first thing that, that Andrew does? He goes to his brother. Where does he go? He goes to the people that are around him. You, you see the same thing with Philip and Nathanael. Philip found Nathanael, verse 45. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him who Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. How do you share the gospel? You share the gospel with the people that are already around you. Those that are already in your life. One of the misunderstandings that we might carry as the people of God is that you have to go somewhere else to share the gospel. Instead of saying right where you are. I have a friend who has said it like this. When I was a teenager, he said it like this. God has placed you exactly where you are to do what you are doing for a purpose, with a purpose, on mission for Jesus. Jesus. You're not you don't work where you work, you don't go to school where you go to school, you don't live where you live because, oh, well, I just happened to choose this. But you, under the sovereign rule of God, have been placed in that in that moment to influence the people around you. God is spreading out his people all over the place to be gospel proclaimers wherever it is that you are. The place that you work, the school that you reside in, the neighborhood that you live in, it's just you're in. It's just the way that you get in to live your primary function as a missionary for Jesus. Wherever it is that you work, you bring the gospel with you. So you don't have to go to new people. You live around lost people. You work around lost people. And so begin to share the gospel with them. You already have a natural relationship with them. Just begin to share the gospel with them. Will there be an an, an awkwardness to that for you? Sure. But that awkwardness will be well worth embracing for the sake of those people believing on Jesus. The second way that we share the gospel, we share the gospel biblically. We share the gospel biblically. Look back at verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, listen to this. We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. What does does Philip say to Nathanael? Hey, look, look, don't you remember what we've learned from the law? Don't you remember what we've heard in the prophets? He's here. And so we too, we share the gospel biblically. We use the scriptures. Now here's the pushback. What if they don't believe the Bible? What if, what if they don't believe that the Bible is authoritative? I, I heard a pastor say it this like this this week. Just because they don't believe the Bible is authoritative doesn't mean the Bible is not authoritative. The Bible's authority has nothing to do with their belief in whether it is or not. The Bible is a sharp two-edged sword. The Bible is breathed out by God. The Bible is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. The Bible is the very words of God, whether or not they buy it or not. We ought to be the kinds of people who speak the words of God and let God by his spirit do exactly what he promises to do, whether or not they buy it or not. So we, we speak the gospel and we speak it biblically. You might have a good argument Your argument isn't inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible is. And so speak the gospel and speak it biblically. Third way we share the gospel. We share the gospel by bringing them to come and see Jesus. We bring them to come and see Jesus. Jesus. Again, what what does Andrew do with Peter? He says in verse 41, he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. What was Andrew's goal? I have to get you to Jesus. I have to get you to Jesus. What's Philip's goal with Nathaniel? He says to him at the end of verse 45, at the end of verse 46, come and see. Come and see. And listen, here's what happens, much like what happens with Philip and Nathaniel. When you engage somebody in a conversation about Jesus, the first thing they want to do is have a different conversation about anything but Jesus. Right? Because look at what happens in verse in verse 40, 46. Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip just said to him, hey, we found him who Moses and the law, the guy, he's, he's Jesus the, of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And the first thing that Nathaniel says is like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It would be much like this. You begin a conversation about Jesus with your coworkers and they're like, hey, man, since you're talking about, it, I've got some questions about Christianity. Do you really think that the earth was created in six days? or Do you think it was a few thousand years? Do you think that there was actually an ark that Noah wrote on? Did God really flood the earth? Do you think that dinosaurs existed? And you're like, hold on. That's not even the question that I asked you. And what you have to do in that moment is fight really hard to get them to Jesus. Over and over again, as they want to sidetrack you, you've got to say, come and see Jesus. I'm trying to get you to Jesus. I'm trying to get you to look at him because if you would look on him, you would see that he's exactly who he said he is. And he's done exactly what he said he would do. Uh, Tim Keller, who was a pastor in New York, uh, has this book called The Reason for God. And in it, he engages these people that are lost and they want to have these conversations, these side conversations about Christianity. Hey, well, it, you know, like if I become a Christian, I've got, you know, these hurdles and these hurdles and these hurdles. He said, like, look, if Jesus is who he says he is, if Jesus is actually rose from the dead, then does, that even, does it even matter? If Jesus is exactly who he says he is, all that other stuff goes to the wayside. He's the point. We're looking to him. So with your lost friends, sure, engage engage the side conversation. It's not unimportant. It's just not the most important. Get them to Jesus. Tell them, come and see, come and see, come and see. And just, again, that's another side note here. That's not, come to church with me. That's fine. I hope that you would invite them here. But don't invite them here as a, as a, as like a, as a substitute for sharing the gospel with them. Share the gospel with them. And then bring them here. Tell them to come and see Jesus. Speak about him. Tell them who he is. He's the prize. At the end of the day, the invitation of evangelism is not to buy something that we're selling, answer all of their questions that they have, debate about creation or miracles. It's to get them to Jesus. He's the prize. So let's communicate it that way. Let's communicate it that way. Okay, so that's three principles. Let me give you let me give you a practical tool. So you're gonna have to hang on here. You're probably gonna have to watch me on the screen. Uh you know, that's just kind of how it goes, the camera. You want me to keep doing this? Is that helpful for you? That's not. Uh, uh so this is a, uh this is an old school tool. You probably know it. If you're like, I'm never gonna use that. That's fine. Use whatever you want to use. That's totally fine. If you're like, I don't need a I don't need a tool like this, but if people need to see what the gospel does, this is helpful. I think this is helpful. Uh, so this is a really common tool. This is called the Romans 623 bridge. So if you're writing this on a piece of paper or a napkin, wherever it is that you have a surface to write on, you can write Romans 623 here at the top. And you begin a conversation, whether you're at wherever you are with the people that you are with that are lost and you begin engaging them in a conversation. And you say, hey, look, here's the deal. God has created us to be in a relationship with him. But here's the problem. We've rebelled against God and this stuff called sin. And here's what's resulted is there's this giant gap between us and God. It's it's often referred to as a chasm. Sin has separated us from God. And here in Romans 6, 23, it says, for the wages of sin is death. And so here's the reality for you and I. The wage that we've earned for our sin is death. And so left to ourselves, we have no hope of getting back to God. But here's what happens in us is we we want to get back to God. We desire to get back to God. We think we can earn our way back to God. So here's what we do. We say, you know what? I'm going to start going to church, but that's just not good enough. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll give some money, but it's not good enough. Maybe I'll just be kind to my spouse, but it's not good enough. Maybe I'll be kind to my kids. It's not good enough. Maybe I'll just not cuss as much. It's, it, but all of it continually falls short. It's efforts to get to God on our own, but we never make it. Thus Romans 3 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so we need some kind of solution that's outside of ourselves. And so Romans 6.23 gives us that very solution. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The gift of God is eternal life. God is giving life for our death. But the question is, how does that happen? Is he just handing it out for free? Does nobody pay? Here's where it says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And Jesus, through his death on the cross, becomes the one who takes our wage for our sin by dying. Thus, we can receive the free gift of God that is eternal life. And where is that found? It's found in Christ Jesus, who is our Lord. So what's required of us? We simply must do exactly what Romans ten nine says. We confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead and we'll be saved. Now, listen, is is this like, is this like miraculous? Is it inspired by God? No, it's just a way for you to show your friends who are lost. This is what the gospel does. This is the reality of the gospel. And so maybe this might be a helpful tool for you as you live out there in in your circles of influence to be somebody who shares the gospel. You've got paper and napkins everywhere where you work. So so utilize this. Grab a pen, sit them down, and just begin a conversation like this. Hey, do you mind if I share something with you that's really important to me? Most people aren't going to be like, I'd rather you not do that. Right, I'm, I'm just. Most people are going to have a general courtesy to say, "Sure," and you draw this. And if you were following along, you're going way too fast for me, Kate. I can't copy all this down. You can find YouTube video after YouTube video after YouTube video with this tool on there to explain it. The point is to arm you with the things that you need to share the gospel out there, because the truth of the matter is is that those who have been transformed by the gospel must be people who proclaim the gospel. And so if you've come in here today saying, I, I just don't know how, now you know how you're like, Kate, I'm never going to use that. I'm just going to speak it with my mouth. That's great. I don't care if you ever use this. I do care if we become the kind of people who do share the gospel with those around us. And I want you to be really clear about what's happening here today. I'm not coming, I'm not coming to you thinking that I'm Billy Graham. All right. This is hard for me. In my own neighborhood, this is hard for me. I have awkwardly shared the gospel with my neighbor before. It was so bad. I went to seminary. <laughs> but hopefully, as, as one of my friends has said before, the more that we obey, the more we desire to obey. Because those who have been transformed by the gospel are those who proclaim the gospel. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes. Here's what I would ask you to do. Just right where you are by yourself. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to think about one person in your life, wherever you work, live, I I don't know. One person in your life that's far from God or that you're not sure is a follower of Jesus. I want you to begin to pray for that person right now. By name, in your head, you you can pray out loud, that's fine. Unless they're next to you, that would be awkward. But just pray for that person right now. I'm going to give you a moment just to pray. Pray that they would hear. Pray for boldness for you. And then I want you to think about How can you engage them this week to have a gospel conversation wherever it is that you meet them in your neighborhood at work? Maybe that means you'll invite them to go on a walk, invite them to grab a meal. I I don't know. How will you engage them? And then just ask the Lord, God, would you go before me here? I will throw the seed. I'm just asking you to make it grow. And maybe you're here and not a follower of Jesus. Maybe if I asked you, hey, where are you on this diagram? You would say, I'm on the other side of the chasm, man. Trying to get to God, but I can't. Then what's before you today is the opportunity to believe on Jesus. He is the free gift that's come from God by which we attain eternal life. All that you have to do is turn around, believe on Jesus, bet your life on the reality that he is who he says that he is and he's done exactly what he said he would do. And if that's you today, my invitation to you is that here in a moment when we sing this song, you would come forward to one of our pastors and prayer partners and you would say something like this to them. Hey, I would like to know more about what it means to follow Jesus. or maybe you're here and you've just got something else that's on you and you need to offload that in prayer, we would just invite you to come up here. Our pastors and prayer partners would love to pray with you. But I'm gonna pray and we're gonna respond in song. Father, we're grateful to you that you by your grace have given us a free gift that is eternal life and that's found in Christ Jesus who is our Lord. Let that, let that transform us. That's me included, God. I need that to sink into me. I need the gospel to sink so deep into my soul that it, would, that, that it would cause me to erupt with proclamation about the gospel. I need that, God. I don't want to be the kind of person that just tells people to do this. I want to do this. We want to do this. So empower us by your spirit for this moment. We ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can stand. Let's respond.